Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, uh, you actually end, then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hello there. Welcome to session 128 of Selling the Couch. Man, these numbers keep increasing higher and higher and uh, it's amazing. I don't know that I thought that I would have over a hundred episodes of the podcast, but I'm so grateful for each of you for taking the time to listen. Today's podcast is actually just a wonderful conversation. And it's all about expanding services beyond counseling. And my guest is Laura Valencourt. Uh, Laura is a licensed mental health counselor. She's also a geriatric mental health specialist up in Olympia, Washington. And she has just doing some really amazing things in serving the elderly. As you will hear on the podcast, she actually started out by starting with counseling services and trying to figure out, actually, even before starting with counseling services, she took a lot of her past experiences and then finding a clinical internship that fit who she wanted to work with and then expanding into counseling services. And now she actually provides a number of services, including case management and assessment and consulting with geriatric care with caregivers and with facilities and all sorts of different things. And so more than anything, I think this episode is just a wonderful opportunity to think about what we can truly do with in our field and what happens when you focus on a population that you just feel so passionate about serving. So before we get to today's podcast conversation, I just wanted to take a moment to thank the folks over at Theranest for supporting uh, this week and this month's podcast conversations. Theranest is simple and affordable electronic health records. If you guys have heard conversations on the podcast, or if you've been recently on the Selling the Couch community, there's a lot of questions around EHR and the benefits. And by and large, the vast majority of our colleagues, one of the things that comes up is to try to get on a electronic health record as soon as possible, just for a number of reasons. And Theranest is a wonderful opportunity and they just provide have an outstanding reputation and just provide a wonderful service. So you can learn more at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Theranest. And that gives you 21 days absolutely free and then a little bit of a discount for our community. So uh, we'll get right to today's conversation. Here is my conversation with Laura Valencourt from eldercarecounselor.com. Hi, Laura. Welcome to Selling the Couch. Hi, Melvin. Thank you so much for having me. 
I'm so excited for this conversation because, my gosh, you are a very busy person and you are just doing so many things like outside of the box of what we think of as a private practitioner. Yes, I am. <laughs> I love it, though. It really is what feeds me. I love the variety. You know what? I think for me, like I've realized something very similar is that I'm very energized by variety. And yeah. it's always this fine balance for me of like not trying to take on too much. But <laughs> but I do like the variety because I think it challenges me in different ways. Have you found something similar? Absolutely. Yes. I do feel that I wouldn't be um, still so excited about this work and driven to, you know, tap into my creativity if I didn't have that opportunity to have such variety. So, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, let's kind of start at the beginning. So your website is at eldercarecounselor.com. So if you guys want to follow along as Laura and I chat. But one of the things that I absolutely love about your website is that it's super clear who you serve, right? So I know that I struggle with this. I've seen a lot of our colleagues, when you go on the private practice websites, they're trying to figure out like, who they serve, and it's not always clear, right? So they, we don't always think of it from the client or the patient's perspective. How did you know that this was the population that you wanted to serve? That's a really good question because, I mean, I completely been there. <laughs> you're sitting in grad school, you're trying to decide what's the best population to work with, who do I naturally work well with, what's going to actually make me money, what's going to, you know, give me the opportunities to go into private practice if that's what your goal is. And so for me, I really just tapped into what I felt like were my unique experiences and I feel like I've been a person that's always been drawn to the things that are unique, the niches out there that just haven't been tapped into yet. And so I grew up, I had a kind of an alternative childhood. My dad was a Vietnam vet and he wanted to, he needed to get out of the city. We had lived at Phoenix in Phoenix when I was little. And so because of his PTSD and the support of one of his psychologists, he and my mom packed him and their kids and their dog up in the van and drove north. (laughs) So we landed in Washington State up near the Canadian border. And so I grew up... This was like way beyond Arizona then. (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We lived out of our car camping for a year. And we also, once they bought property, we just, you know, kind of homesteaded the land. And so I grew up in a unique environment without electricity, without running water, with an outhouse. And so... Anyways, my mom is a nurse, and she got a job at the only hospital in the whole county there. And so my mom would take me to work with her on the days that she worked. And it was a vacation for me (laughs) as a little kid. (laughs) So this hospital was a nursing home. It was an emergency room. It was a labor and delivery. And so... I would go and I would get to watch TV and I would get to hang out with the older folks. And so I was really exposed to a lot in that small hospital. You know, I was able to witness nurses just being compassionate with folks through their death and dying process. And, you know, they let me swab mouths and bring water and wipe foreheads with wash rags and So while I was there, I also spent a lot of time with the folks in the nursing home wing. 
And so I was exposed to dementia and, you know, different types of Alzheimer's at a pretty young age. And I think that I just felt comfortable in that setting and working with that population. And so back to grad school, when I was trying to decide who should I work with and is there a unique niche out there, I instantly thought of these two populations. I thought of working with veterans and I thought of working with older adults. And for me, the decision maker was where in my heart, you know, do I feel the most confident and comfortable? And I felt like the veteran population, I was too close to that emotionally. I had a lot of my own baggage. And with older adult, my heart just softens and I I feel comfortable with that. So that's really what made the decision for me to go in that direction. That's amazing Um, that you like, I mean, you found this need because you balanced you found a need with mm. sort of a, a passion, right? Something that that's I really did. In your heart. Yeah, I really followed that first. Mm. And then, you know, through my journey, I know that we'll talk a little more about that, too. But through my journey, I realized that there really was a strong need. It was difficult at first, because I was told that I would never be able to go into private practice, that I would never have enough clients to feed my practice. And so it was a real struggle. And I looked around and no one else was doing this. There were definitely moments that I felt like, oh, what am I doing? I'm going to have to do something else as well. And yeah, I mean, what are like, I don't know, it's whatever, like terrifying scenario, right? Like on <laughs> one hand, you have this passion and then you have folks that are telling you don't do it. And then mm-hmm. you get into the situation and it's not happening the way you envisioned Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so before we go there, I actually a really random question. How old were you when you were at the hospital and doing this? Oh, good question. Yeah. So we moved when I was, I think I was six or seven. Hmm. I think I was seven. Hmm. Yeah. So it started really my exposure to hanging out, you know, in the medical field was probably about age seven. Wow. And yeah, and my mom continued to work at that hospital until I graduated. So amazing. Well, the reason I ask that is because I think I know that a lot of our colleagues struggle with niching and trying to find a population and who am I going to serve in practice. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we forget, you know, I know for me, I have a tendency to do this, I forget my previous experiences, right? And the people that soften my heart, like I love that phrase that you used. And (laughs) we almost think of it like, I don't know, for me, sometimes I'm like, let me think of it like post-grad school, right? Like, yes. And I forget about like pre-grad school. There was this whole life there. Yeah. Right? I love that, Melvin. Yeah. I think that's a really important thing to remember is to really value our past experiences in life because in so many areas, we already are the expert <laughs> when you've lived through things, you know, in your own way. And so really to tap into that and then just build upon it. I think that can be so valuable. Yeah, I mean, I think that the combination of practical experience, life experience combined with education is such a powerful Mm -hmm. medium. Yes. So when did you decide to start the practice? Was it like after grad school or? Yeah, I would say I actually started it, oh gosh, probably about five or six years after grad school. Mm. What happened after graduating, as you know, is we need to have our supervision hours and So I, while in grad school, I found, let me tell you, trying to find an internship site was difficult, again, because you need appropriate supervision. And at that point in time, I hadn't heard that anyone had 
that there were the opportunities to work with older adults in our community. So I went out. So you were actually looking for internships and out Mm -hmm. and to get your clinical hours with the elderly. With that population. Yeah, exactly. So I walked into a skilled nursing facility here in our community, and I just basically hit the jackpot (laughs) in the sense that their brand new director of social services was a licensed mental health counselor. She had her geriatric mental health specialty, and she had supervision experience. And so I just got very lucky finding her. What and uh, so what made you walk into that facility? Because I think most people would be like, uh, I don't know if I Where can do, do you this. start? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it was up to me as a student to find my internship site and I knew I wanted to work with older adults. I didn't have any idea what that would look like. And because I was familiar with, with a hospital setting and nursing home setting, I thought I'm just going to start there. Sorry to interrupt you. I think you're like saying some really cool stuff to that one, but kind of just to like happen to. So there's like a subtle nuance thing you're saying, which is it sounds like you looked for other people who served that population, right? Like Yes. And I think that's a really good idea. So other people, other agencies, other whatever yep. that is. That's exactly what I did. Yeah. And you can, I certainly felt like I was starting out in new territory. I mean, I was familiar with those settings from my childhood. However, I had no idea how professionals worked, you know, with folks. I didn't know if they had counselors in nursing homes or hospitals. (laughs) I knew they had social workers, but I didn't know exactly what they did. So yeah, I think I just was really good at investigating. And I know that I did, I had an informational interview at the hospital. At one point, I went to their spiritual care services. It was a Catholic hospital in town. And and I spoke with some folks in the spiritual care. And so I just kind of tried to gather information and see who and where I could, you know, best be able to get in front of some of the clients that I really wanted to work with. And this nurse, the skilled nursing facility that I ended up at had more opportunity than I could have imagined, really. And I'll I'll tell you about some of those opportunities. And it wasn't until I had been in there for a while that I realized, especially comparing myself to my colleagues and my peers in school and hearing about their counseling experiences at their sites. So at a skilled nursing facility, typical one will have two separate wings. One wing is a rehab unit and the other wing would be long-term care where people actually decide to stay and live. And so at this particular facility, I was able to provide counseling to folks in the whole facility. So on the rehab side, I was seeing folks who maybe had recovering from hip surgery. I worked with a lot of people who had had amputations due to diabetes complications, some folks maybe that were in a car accident and recovering, a variety of different surgeries that were performed. So I gained so much experience just being on that rehab side as far as exposure to medical complications and working with families who were grieving and people who were experiencing, you know, loss of certain body parts and changes in living situations and transitions and adjustments that were going on. So it was was just this wonderful place to get such a variety of exposure to folks. Yeah, I mean, I was, well, I was just thinking like, 
what a unique experience for anyone, much less like just yes. coming out, right, and, and try to get hours. Yes. Yeah. I really encourage other folks, if you have any interest at all in working in the medical field or helping folks through on a variety of different grief and loss and medical complications, a skilled nursing facility, you're going to see it all. <laughs> so this might be a really silly question, but so was counseling like services part of the protocol at that facility or is that something? That, that's actually a great question because the answer is no. Hmm. Right now, you know, there are federal guidelines about Medicare and insurance and facilities, hospitals and nursing homes are only required to have a social worker. And the, the role of social worker in those settings looks very different than what we as counselors may be thinking of. Those social workers typically are discharge planners, and they're either coordinating the admission or the discharge process. And so, of course, as a therapist, I was interested in more deeper counseling work. And so while there are some services in the community, and we'll get to talking about that, too, because that's what I'm now doing. While there are these other services in the community, there typically is not a therapist or, you know, psychotherapist working in those settings. So, so I just... That's mm -hmm. so fascinating. So how did you, like, convince them that this was, you know, <laughs> like, this is yes. a need? Well, a huge piece, like I said, was the supervisor that I just happened to hit the jackpot with. And the second piece is it was an unpaid internship. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, so, so you needed hours. They had, yep. yeah. they had the people. I needed the hours. So I didn't have too hard of a time convincing them to let me come in and provide these services. And the really the challenge for me was going to be in finding someone at that site that could supervise me. And, and because my supervisor had the credentials, I was good to go. So she and I sat and we talked this through and figured out how to what I wanted to do. She gave me so much freedom. The other half of this skilled nursing facility, like I said, is long term care. And so not only did I have exposure to all these folks that were going through rehab and healing, but I also had access to these wonderful older adults that were unable to go home and they lived there. And then there was also at that point in time, a dementia unit attached. And so I, oh my gosh, my first love really is working with folks who have dementia and their families. And so I was able to dive in deep and create some programs there as far as groups and support groups education for staff, things like that. So yeah, no, it's wonderful. Because I think, and again, this is like me, I think for me, like, I would say, okay, I need my hours. But what do you mean? I'm not getting paid. But yeah. I think for you, like, <laughs> what I hear is you approached a little differently. Like, imagine that was super tough, not realizing you're not getting paid, but you almost saw it as a laboratory where you could experiment and figure out, work with these different populations, introduce these different services to both clients and then the staff as well. And I imagine this probably gave you a lot of like opportunity for testing in terms of like what works so mm -hmm. that when you were ready Trial for and private, error. Yeah. When you're ready for private practice, it's not like you're just jumping in trying to figure out like, what do I do, right? You already have all of this data and yeah. what's working and you have the relationships and all of those things. Yes. So this is a classic example for me of trusting where you're at when you're there. So what happened for me is I started this internship program there. My internship was a year long. And from that, 
they offered me a job probably three months in. And so upon graduating, I had this secured position already. They continued to allow me that freedom. From that, we were able to build a bigger internship program. And so I was able to gain supervision experience by supervising these interns that were coming in from other schools. And through my trial and error, you know, if I love how you describe that as kind of a laboratory, I was able to really fine tune the folks that or the population that really fed me and even though there were times I know that through the years that I worked there that I grumbled and I thought, what am I doing? I wanted to go into private practice and this isn't really where I want to be. And I realized once I did start private practice, those years at that facility, how much I learned. I learned just a lot. <laughs> and everything I learned, I was able to take with me into private practice. So yeah, it's hard, it I think, especially when it's a tough environment, right? Like, it's hard yeah. to see it in that moment where, yeah. you know, that everything, I don't know, I personally believe that everything truly does happen for a reason, you know, and we may not always be able to understand why in that moment it's happening, mm-hmm. right? But we look mm-hmm. back and we're like, oh, yeah, you know, if anything, it, it gave me an idea of what not to do or, yeah. you know. <laughs> it all becomes clear after the fact. <laughs> right, right. So I want to fast forward and talk about the private practice because uh, as we started off with, you are doing quite a bit. And so, you know, as of like right now, as we record this, you provide a range of services. You have geriatric case management, you do consultations and coaching, you do counseling, and you do assessments. So those are kind of the four big ones. And before we dive into each of those, I wanted to just ask you, like, how did you figure out like what that first service was going to be? You mean besides counseling? So was counseling the very first one? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, as a psychotherapist, that was the goal. And For me, well, I'll tell you how it evolved. You know, I was working at this skilled nursing facility. I think I'd been there about six years. And what happened was there were contracts in the community at our local area agency on aging. And there's an area agency on aging on every community in the country. And so our area agency on aging was awarded a new grant And the grant was to provide counseling to family caregivers. And so they did kind of a call for therapists that were interested in or had experience in working with family caregivers. And that felt like a natural fit for me. It was certainly the closest thing to working with older adults that was being offered, you know, that I knew of for counseling. So I applied for this contract and I got it. And I was still working at the skilled nursing facility. And so I started to see folks on the side, you know, for private practice. And so through applying for that contract, the beauty for me was that it kind of held my hand and walked me through the steps of developing a private practice. Because part of the contract was I had to get insurance, I had to have a business license, I had to, you know, have all my ducks in a row. And so it was really a guide for me in kind of dipping my toe into the world of private practice. And again, I continued to work. I wasn't getting enough referrals to break off full time, but I probably had, oh, maybe five or six people that I would see, you know, in the evenings or on weekends around my work schedule. 
You were initially in the skilled nursing facility doing counseling, primarily individual, but also with families. And then this grant allowed you to go into actually serving the family caregivers. Mm -hmm. So they would pay for six sessions of counseling. And at that time, I didn't have an office. (laughs) So I got creative. And what I learned was in a lot of the community settings where they have assisted living facilities or independent living facilities, the marketers at those buildings want, they get points, you know, they get credit for people that walk through their doors. And so I was offered to use, I had one on each end of town, one on the east side and one on the west side, (laughs) an assisted living facility that said, anytime you need a room to meet with someone, you come on in and, you know, the room is yours. Was this like relationship (laughs) that you knew about or how did this even come about? Well, the real reason that came about is while I worked at this nursing facility, I also continue to educate myself and be part of community gatherings and and settings and working with older adults. And so I joined our local Alzheimer's Council and loved it. It's just a great group of people. We all loved working and serving older adults who have dementia and their families. And, you know, we had our Alzheimer's walk every year and we had our conference every year. And so through that, I met Um, a lot of people in the community that served older adults in a variety of capacity, like businesses and family members. So I think it was through that that I could share, oh, my excitement that I got this contract, and I'm going to provide counseling to, you know, family caregivers. And those folks, you know, helped me. (laughs) And oh, come on into our building when you see your people. And (laughs) Sure, here's this beautiful, you know, model apartment that you can meet your clients in. <laughs> Man, oh, yeah. It's amazing, like, I don't know, just in general, like how thinking outside the box, right, like led to the opportunity yeah. because the natural thing would have been like how, okay, I got to go now find office space and how am yeah. I going to pay for that, you know? Exactly, exactly. The other piece with this population is many folks can't leave their home because they're caring for someone. So I I also met people in their homes. Got it. So you went to where the service was needed in a way. Yes. Mm -hmm. So you expand. So with the counseling service, just real quick, like as you started to expand, what do you think was like a a big like mistake that you made initially? That maybe you didn't even realize was a mistake. I didn't even realize was a mistake. Yeah, you know what? That is a great question. And I think for me, I've learned a couple things. One is, I think the biggest thing for me is I got really busy really fast. You know, that was the first contract I started with. And then from there, I added a couple more, actually a few more contracts in a variety of settings. And so my business really took off quickly. And one of the mistakes that I think that I made was I quit marketing. I quit really fostering those community partners and relationships. I was so busy just keeping my head above water that I wasn't looking for clients. (laughs) And so now hindsight, my practice has only been open for about four years. And, you know, I have a staff, there's, there's five of us on the team, but it was probably about year two or three, you know, I just kind of, I kept my head above water for those first couple of years, busy, busy. And then about, yeah, about the third year, I realized, oh, now I have 
the staff, you know, some referrals were kind of trickling down in one of my contracts. And I realized I haven't been out there like I was initially, you know, fostering those relationships, reminding folks who we are and what we're doing. And so that I think was the biggest lesson for me is even when you're busy, keep up with the marketing piece. Right. So I guess this, again, this help is not a silly question. So part of it was that you were limited on time because you were so busy. And I think this is sort of the struggle, right? Like you get busy and then you're like, I know I have to market, but then marketing is going to lead to potentially more people coming in. Exactly. I guess the more immediate question is, one, how did you find the time to market when you knew you didn't have enough time? Was it just a matter of hiring folks or what did you do? Did you pull back on seeing folks or? Yeah. And I, still figuring it out, you know, as we go. And so hiring absolutely helped. It helped free my time. I've had a hard time being okay with not seeing clients all day. (laughs) To me, I think that was the biggest struggle in, in this phase that I'm in with my business is that it's okay for me to not be busy seeing clients all day. Because that's how I built this business. And that's how, you know, I've continued to be successful. And so what I'm realizing is, you know, every month when we're looking at our numbers, and I see how much money I brought in, it's not as high as it used to be, because I'm doing more back end work, you know, as far as managing the staff and keeping up with these contracts. And so I purposefully set aside time every week to do the marketing piece, to continue to do, to foster those relationships. And I think you just have to be conscious of it and you have to schedule it in. I think this is one of the hardest transition, which is that mental and practical transition from solopreneur to CEO. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And not feeling like guilty because I think this is true. Like many of us start practices and the goal is to see clients. And then we realize as we add more staff or get busy, we have to actually pull back on you know, that trading to create income or that direct service. Mm -hmm. And I'll add to that, like we started out talking about, I think it's that variety that keeps me going too. I love being able to still have the one-on-one client counseling time. I love to still be able to sit in and do a consultation with a family and, you know, provide some coaching regarding a situation and the creativity that comes with building a business and doing the marketing piece and fostering those relationships in the community. So I think it is the variety that keeps me going, but it's finding the balance in those areas. That's the learning. So Laura, this is a, as we wrap up, like, I, this is mm-hmm. a really maybe a silly question, but I feel like I'm asking a lot of silly questions today. <laughs> no, they're great questions, I think. <laughs> so you're doing like consults, you're doing coaching, you're doing counseling. You know, I know you guys do the case management services, the assessments, like, so mm-hmm. on a practical level, like your schedule, like, do you block sections of time to do these? Or I don't know, for me, like, I think I would be so overwhelmed. You know, mm-hmm. trying to almost like yeah. mentally shifting from one service to the other or, you know, trying to yeah. figure out, okay, what does my day look like or, you know? Right. I've actually thought about that. And what I think what works best for me when I try that sort of blocking, like I'm going to spend this many hours doing, you know, providing counseling and this many hours will allow for consultations or assessments. And for me, that didn't work. What worked best for me 
and and I don't know how applicable, you know, depends on the listeners if you have employees or not. But for me is I found the strengths in my employees, you know, I found their kind of best niche and service so that when we have clients come through the door, I'm able to say, Oh, Crystal or Lori was a perfect fit, you know, for you, and I can move them in that direction. I think the thing that helped me the most was having when we talk about blocking time, being really conscious about, you know, like Mondays right now, we do not schedule clients on Mondays. It's a time where I'm in the office working with my office manager, and we're going over the cases, and we're kind of catching up on all the back end stuff. And that day for me is a necessity. And so we've learned that that's what we need. And that's what works. And as far as clients, when they come in, Right now, I'm doing a lot of the sort of initial consultations with folks to find out what's going on in their life and where we can best, you know, advise and help them. And then I'm able to shift them over to one of our other counselors or other care managers. So far, that's what's working. But, you know, as I said, it's always a learning process. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Like having systems in place, but having the flexibility to change if you need to. Yes, yes. It's always trial and error. Laura, where can folks learn more about you and uh, the services that your wonderful team provides? Well, you can look up our website. It's eldercarecounselor.com. And one of the things I love more than anything is to consult with other practitioners. And so if any of your listeners have questions about working with older adults or questions about our practice, I'm more than happy to talk. Awesome. Laura, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful that we've been able to connect. And thank you for taking time out of your day to come on the podcast. Sure, my pleasure, Melvin. Thank you so much. Hey, gang, hope you enjoyed my conversation with Laura. And whether you are choosing to work with the elderly or just struggling to expand services and maybe think outside the box, I hope that today's podcast conversation is giving you some inspiration and just some different ways of looking at things. You know, one of the most, well, there were a couple of takeaways that I had, and one of them was what I mentioned on the podcast interview. I think for me, a lot of times I do have the tendency to just focus on my clinical experience, and I kind of forget the other parts of my life and my interactions and all of those things that have shaped me, right? And as you guys heard a couple of weeks ago where I, I talked about my struggle with finding a niche in private practice, I think it was what Laura and I talked about. It was that realization of looking at my life on the whole and seeing where my passion lay and who I could serve that really motivated me to to work with entrepreneurs. But this episode is not about me. So but I think it just got me thinking about how our past experiences really do shape and how sometimes, at least for me, I have a tendency to minimize it. The second idea is Laura mentioned this toward the end of the podcast, where as she started to hire staff, she went through this transition where she had to figure out that, you know what, as my practice is expanding, I'm not going to be able to be there as much providing one-to-one services, right? And part of what I have to do is I have to identify the strengths in the people that I hire and put them into those opportunities. So this idea is actually an idea that came up in a book that I read last month called Good to Great, Why Some Companies Make the Leap and Others Don't. And in that book, the author talks about this idea of a school bus, right? And that 
if the school bus is our workplace, right, the key thing is not to just put a bunch of people into the school bus, right? So the people are our employees. But the real key thing is the most successful companies, what they do is they figure out where they look at the seats on the school bus and they figure out where each person should sit. Right. And Laura's doing a really good job of that because she's not just hiring, right, people that are a good fits for her practice, but she is sitting there thinking, you know what, what are their unique strengths and what can I do to put them into a position where they can serve those unique strengths or where I can tap into those unique strengths and, and then they're happy as well. So. Hope that gives you some motivation and just a, a different way of looking at things. Show notes to today's podcast conversation can be found at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 128. As we wrap up, again, I just wanted to thank the folks over at Theranest for supporting today's podcast conversation. Again, Theranest is uh, affordable and high-quality electronic health records uh, for our private practices. And you can learn more about them and the number of features that they provide uh, to better serve our clients at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Theranest. And again, that gives you a 21-day free trial and then a 20% off discount. But um, again, just be sure to go through that link just so that you guys can get that discount. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and uh, I'll see you next time, okay? Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while, or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business. Just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.